One day as we were going down to the place of prayer, we met a slave girl who had, the sp- had a spirit that enabled her to tell the future. She earned a lot of money for her masters by telling fortunes. She followed Paul and the rest of us, shouting, These men are servants of the Most High God, and they have come to tell you how to be saved. This went on day after day until Paul got so exasperated that he turned and said to the demon within her, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her, and instantly it left her. Her master's hopes of wealth now shattered, so they grabbed Paul and Silas and dragged them before the authorities at the marketplace. The whole city is in an uproar because of these Jews, they shouted to the city officials. They are teaching customs that are illegal for us as Romans to practice. A mob quickly formed against Paul and Silas, and the city officials ordered them stripped and beaten with wooden rods. They were severely beaten, and then they were thrown into prison. The jailer was ordered to make sure they didn't escape. So the jailer put them in the inner dungeon and clamped their feet in the stocks. Around midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the other prisoners were listening. Suddenly there was a massive earthquake, and the prison was shaken to its foundations. All the doors immediately flew open, and the chains of every prisoner fell off. The jailer woke up to see the prison doors wide open. He assumed the prisoners had escaped, so he drew his sword to kill himself. But Paul shouted to him, Stop! Don't kill yourself, we are all here. The jailer called for lights and ran to the dungeon and fell down trembling before Paul and Silas. Then he brought them out and asked, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? They replied, Believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, along with everyone in your household. And they shared the word of God with him and with all those who lived in his household. Even at that hour of the night, the jailer cared for them and washed their wounds. Then he and everyone in his household were immediately baptized. He brought them into his house and set a meal before them, and he and his entire household rejoiced because they all believed in God. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you so much for this day you've given us, uh, for the ability to be here, uh, for the safety you gave us to drive in today, Lord. And we also pray for those at home. We pray for those in the middle room and in the the, uh, gymnasium, Lord, that you would bless each and every one of our hearts this morning. Uh, with this service today, Lord. We thank you for the ability to sing this morning, Lord, to sing your praises, um, to sing of your greatness, Lord. We thank you for that. Lord, we thank you for Pastor Doug and his preparation uh, to bring to us your word. Lord, I pray that we would be attentive ears and attentive souls and hearts to be able to take what you would have for us today. Lord, watch over each and every one of us. Be with those who are ill Be with those who are suffering today, Lord. Uh, Bring them good peace. Bring them uh, hope that you are in control, Lord. Lord, we ask and pray all these things in your name. Amen. It's been a while since we have been in our study of Ezekiel chapter 37, especially when we dealt with the fact of dry bones dancing. You might remember that passage as God took Ezekiel and took him to a big valley that it says that it was full of a multitude of bones and they were all disjointed and God asked Ezekiel a question. He said, can these bones live? 
Ezekiel, the good theologian that he said, uh, that he is, he said, Lord, I don't know, only you do. And so God told Ezekiel to prophesy over the bones and to tell them that they were to come together, and obviously that's what happened. They joined together bone to bone, as the old song goes, the knee bone was connected to the thigh bone and such as that, until what was standing before him was finished skeletons. And then God told Ezekiel to prophesy over them concerning flesh. And flesh came upon them, and pretty soon, but they were still standing there. One thing was missing. They weren't moving. There was no life. And God told Ezekiel once again to prophesy over them and to tell them that God is going to raise them from their graves and give them life. It's difficult to try to put that together in New Testament age, especially in the age of the church. But I think the application is pretty good, is that we can have our lives full of nothing more than dry bones. We wonder of instances of life if God really does care. And we have this sense that, as believer people, that we may very well need to be exempt from all of the ills of society. We, we run in a pretty, if you will, pristine group of people called the Church of the Lord Jesus Christ. But yet, if you read most of the New Testament, you'll find out that there were times that the bones resurrected. We've been speaking of this as far as a concern as to how is it that we can regain life. Almost like going back to the day that we first met Jesus Christ, how exciting that was. How a whole weight, it appeared, was relieved from our shoulders and we thought at that time that we, like Gideon, could take on a whole army with just a, a lamp and a few lights. But over time, things begin to happen. Life isn't as pristine as we would want it to be, and it also has challenges that we would just as soon not have to meet. And so, with all that being said, sometimes we find ourselves in a valley of dry bones. And we have looked at the fact that in order to be resuscitated, if you will, into spiritual life, we may have to climb a few sycamore trees as Zacchaeus did in order that he may see God, see Christ. He didn't care who was there to chide him for his foolishness because he knew that only Jesus was his help. It wasn't too long ago, it was back in November, that we even looked at the woman who had the issue of illness that plagued her and so much so that she lost all of her welfare and all of her place in society. And, and she ran to meet Jesus in the crowd and she was the one that touched the hem of Jesus' robe and, and Jesus turned and said, who touched me? Because he felt a surge of his power leave him and the woman was healed. We learn from that instance that 
there's times when Jesus, more than times, it's He is our only strength. But this morning I want to talk to you about joy in the inner prison. The passage that Pastor Steve read for you in the gospel or the book of Acts is not new to you, I'm sure. You've either studied it on your own, come across in your reading, or you may have heard it from a Sunday school teacher, or I'm sure even from some sermon presentations. But this morning, I want to look at it from a different point of view. And that sometimes, God places us in darkness because He had a greater lesson for us to learn. What's interesting is that photography and poinsettias have something in common. They both need dark rooms. For a poinsettia to gain its color under research that my wife and I have done, because we got this little poinsettia plant last Christmas from one of our grandchildren. The thing is a bush now. I have no idea. Plants don't normally last that long in our house, but this thing is is big but it's still green. And we're kind of wondering, how does this thing turn red? What, what happens? Are we supposed to put food color in the, in, the, in the soil or what? What's going on here? And through research, we found out that a poinsettia needs 14 hours of darkness, complete darkness. And it needs to have that for a time of almost eight weeks in order for it to begin to turn to the color that it's supposed to have. We're excited because we have the tiniest leaf that's starting to turn red and everything else is green. So we're kind of wondering, it's getting close to our eight weeks and we're kind of wondering when all of a sudden Chris, that's what we call it, we named the plant Chris for Christmas, we bring, we take Chris down five o'clock every night, put him in the laundry room, close the door. And every morning about 7 o'clock, we bring him out and set him on the coffee table in the living room because he also needs 12 hours of sunlight. Now, I have no idea of how 12 and 14 add up to 24. (laughs) But that's what we were told. So we're going with that. Poinsettias need darkness in order to bloom to the color that they're designed to be. Whether white, whether red, whatever color they are, they need darkness. Photography is the same way. Positives and negatives flow in a dark room. In order for a positive to be good, it first must have a negative. And when you take a picture, and then you... uh, Well, in my day, when you used to take a picture with a camera, now it's all video and all that stuff. I got no clue. We used to take the film roll. Can someone help me out? You remember that? Okay, good. Amen. Good. Okay. I I thought I was the only old one in this room. Anyway, you, you take that roll of film to the pharmacist. You know, the one that had the signed Kodak here? And they'd put it in an envelope and ship it off to be developed. And a few days later, you go back and you got your pictures. Well, that film had to go to a dark room. It could not be opened 
and exposed to light right away because if it did, it would have destroyed the picture. So in the dark room, a negative can be created into a positive. So photography and poinsettias need darkness. And I will tell you this, that sometimes, often, God takes us to a dark room. He takes us there because, and it's in these times, though it may seem illogical and impossible, but it's in these times that we're being developed into what happened to Paul and Silas. They worshipped. In reality, what God wants from us in the darkness of our life is worship. Worship comes easy when the sun or high noon and the sun of circumstances is shining brightly. It's easy to worship God when things are going well. When our health is good, when our jobs are secure, when our relationships are positive, it's easy to praise God. But sometimes God takes us into a dark room in order to make worship even more stable in our lives. So in order for the dry bones to dance once again, there needs to be times when we're placed in dark places so that we can come to know and understand what it is to have joy in the inner prison. The passage that Pastor Steve read for you in Acts chapter uh, 16, there's, there's madness at midnight, or midnight madness. The context is not difficult to understand. All you have to do is even go back further and read in chapter 16, beginning at verse 1. You begin to read that the Apostle Paul and Silas are on missionary journeys, and they come to Philippi. It's at Philippi where they meet Lydia. Lydia is a person, of a woman of purple. She understands the art of dyeing white cloth into colorful cloth to be used in clothing. In fact, so powerful was the Apostle Paul and Silas meeting her that she and her husband came to know and understand their need of the gospel, and so they trusted Christ And Lydia said to Paul, stay with us in our home for the whole time that you were here. They used to meet at the riverside, if you will, on the bank of the river and have times of prayer. And the Apostle Paul and Silas are on their way one morning to do just that. And they have this young lady who is following them continually, shouting out, these men are from God. And they'll tell you how you can be saved. And Paul got upset with that. He got tired of this. And so he cast out from this woman, this young lady, a demon. And at that, the person that owned her as a slave became disgruntled because all of his money was going down the drain because she could tell people's secrets or give to them hope of future. And in the meantime, this man got the 
whole town riled up where Paul and Silas were brought and found guilty, which by the way, if you study Roman law, their, their trial was illegal. But they got the crowd, almost sounds like our, our uh, elections, doesn't it? But anyway, that's for another time, another place. But, uh, their, their trial was illegal. We know that because in verse 35, the magistrates realized that the trial was illegal, and so they said, you've got to let them go. But anyway, we're not getting to that portion. I want to stick with what we have here this morning. And the fact of it is, is that Paul and Silas were stripped of their clothes and they were beaten with wooden rods. And then they were cast into prison and told to the jailer, do not let them escape. And so the jailer then took them to the inner prison, which is known as the dungeon. When you go to the dungeon... They, they set you down and they spread your legs and they put you in chains, in stocks. And you, have no, you can't move. You're not going anywhere. You're in the deepest, darkest point of the prison and no one pays attention to you. And so it's in this time of this dungeon and this darkness that we find ourselves wondering how can you have joy in the inner prison? So we do know that according to the text, it says in verse 25, that about midnight, they begin to engage themselves in something that's quite strange. They begin to worship. They prayer and praise. They begin to sing. We're not told what song they were singing. We have no idea the tune that they were singing. All we do know is that they were singing in praise and in worship of God. We like to praise God when things are going well. You might hear individuals who say, they, they hired me for a new position, praise God, and there's nothing wrong with that. You may go to the doctor and fearful of tests, and yet the doctor says all is well, and you say, praise the Lord, and there's nothing wrong with that. Those are good reasons to bless the name of the Lord and as He brings us through and breaks through these things that we have, and we begin to praise Him. But what do you do when everything's collapsing? The Paul who sang hymns to God in the Philippian dungeon is the same Paul who later wrote to the church at Philippi, Rejoice in the Lord always. And again I say rejoice. Philippians 4 and verse 4. And always even means even in the depths of a dungeon. Always. The Scripture tells us that it was about midnight when Paul and Silas were singing and praying in that dungeon. Midnight is when it's dark. Spiritually, 
emotionally, psychologically, the darkness of midnight can come at us at any time. Midnight is when you're discouraged. Midnight is when you're depressed. It's when things have collapsed on you and there's no way out. Midnight is when you're expecting God to do one thing and He does something else that you don't like. Midnight is when you're trying to do right and everything seems to be going wrong. It's when you've got to do, um, you've got what you don't want and you want what you don't have. Midnight is just when life is not fair. There's so many questions at midnight. Questions that keep us from resting. Midnight is keeps you from it keeps you tossing and turning and thinking, and you keep wondering and you keep asking yourself why? Why me? Why us? Why this? Why now? At midnight you've got questions and you want answers. The Scriptures reveal to us, though, that midnight can come at any time. Jesus said to His disciples in John chapter 16 and verse 33, He says, in the world you will have tribulation. He also writes to 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 8, when He tells the Corinthians, He says that I am afflicted in every way. So the hour of midnight circles around all of us, and it's not here for you now, and be assured it's coming soon. You don't escape it. When midnight comes, you, how you respond is the ultimate proof of what you think about God. It is the supreme test of what you really believe because anybody can get their praise on in the daylight when everything's going just well. There are two instances in Scripture in particular that draw our attention to this point. You've got Job in Job chapter 1 where he strips himself when God allows the forces of darkness to take from him everything. And we find Job sitting on a pile of ash, scraping his sores. And yet he says, the Lord giveth, and the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. It's like the prophet of Habakkuk. In Habakkuk chapter 1, Habakkuk is complaining to God concerning the sinfulness of the nation of Israel and God lets Habakkuk know what he's going to do about it. He's going to bring the Babylonians in and wipe out that nation. In chapter 2, we see an argument going on between Habakkuk and God when Habakkuk says, we're bad, but we're not that bad. 
But in chapter 3 is when you see Habakkuk begin to say, though the trees may not bear, though the ox give no birth to young, though there's no more left, basically he says, yet I will rejoice in the God of my salvation. Darkness is something you can't escape. Some of you probably have already experienced moments of darkness, wondering, does God really care? Does God really have my well-being in sight in His design? Our faith wavers. Our testimony sometimes falls. But rest assured, darkness is the place that you meet Jesus the most. But when you find out that Jesus is all you have, you realize that He's all you need. And that's what Paul and Silas teach us in this particular lesson. They teach us that even in the moments of darkness, even when they've been beaten and their sores are sore, and they're locked down and they can't move, yet they begin to sing. And they begin to pray. Sometimes in our worship, though, we do things backwards. We begin to say, yes, I know God can, can be with me, but this looks like something that He doesn't even care. Or we might say something like, yes, I know that I'm always in His hand, but... This life is not something I signed up for. What Paul and Silas were doing is recognizing the fact, yeah, this might be tough, but God is still worth praising. All we were doing was praising, all we were doing was presenting the gospel of Jesus Christ, and we ended up in this prison, but God has a plan. We sometimes reverse it. Yes, life can be dark. Dungeons can be lonely, smelly places where no one cares. But God is still there. In fact, let me give to you three, what I, what I call, three, three reasons why Paul and Silas could praise the Lord even at that time. Two reasons, excuse me. And it's this. Paul and Silas, even though they were in the worst of circumstances, yet they knew that God is still the God of midnight. He still is. Darkness does not hide us from the presence of God. He is there. He knows even beyond what we know may be coming the next moment of our lives. The other thing I would like to also add to this is this, is that 
the reason that Paul and Silas could worship God is because they realized that the situation they were in first had to be filtered through God's hands. And they knew that they were there for a purpose. They knew what was happening to them was for a reason that maybe they themselves did not even yet know, but yet they trusted God because they knew that God, the Almighty God, can stop anything. And what He allowed in their lives, and sometimes what God allows in our lives, is for a purpose that we would come to know Him deeper, and there's a greater reason that we might not even yet know about. We'll we'll get to that part later. Because I want to share with you three things that happened during this time of their worship. Three things. The first thing is this. Is that when you're in the darkness, and when you're in the dungeon, worshiping God in the darkness will change you you'll be changed. When you're suffering and you get your praise on, it lifts your soul out of your situation. It doesn't look so bad. Because you're trusting in the one who allowed you to be there. When when you go to the book of Psalms and you begin to read them, you find out that there's a number of them that are pretty gloomy. There's a number of psalms that I call miserable psalms. They're psalms of struggle. They're psalms of stress. They're psalms of danger and psalms of praise. But yet, as you read the chapter, as the psalmist, as he's writing, he begins to focus back on who God is, and all of a sudden, his complaining turns to praise and worship. What I like about the Psalms is that they don't hide life. They tell it like it is. I wish I'd known many years earlier when I was in my teens, I wish I would have known then as, as, as I know now, that when you used to hear evangelists say, come to Jesus and all your troubles will be taken care of, <laughs> oh, you get a whole new set of them, don't you? We've got a whole new enemy now. Sometimes the darkness, God allows us to go through. It goes through His hands and He says, yes, Doug can, I want Him to handle that. He can take care of that. And then there's times when He says, yeah, Harold, no, that's not for Him. I'll keep that from Him. It's sort of like when Peter was talking to Jesus in Matthew chapter 16, and Jesus says to Peter, Satan desires to sift you as wheat. My response would have been, okay, what did you tell him? I hope you said no. But Jesus said, but be of good heart, I've prayed for you. Oh, great, thanks God. Could it just as easy for you to say No. No, there are times when we need to go into darkness to be developed into the colorful bloom that God wants us, just like the poinsettia. Even if it might be the smallest leaf that turns red. 
you get changed. The second thing that happens too is this, is that when you worship God in the darkness, it changes your situation. Changes the situation. Circumstances change. It says, as Paul and Silas, as they were singing and praying, the foundations began to shake. Their chains fell off. Their stocks could no longer hold them. The doors were flung open. Situations changed quickly, suddenly, unexpectedly, but yet for a purpose. Uh, Let me leave you with this, that understand this, dear people, that all of the demons of hell that will try to keep you in a prison with their foundations, but God owns the dirt underneath. And He can shake it anytime He wants. Their situation changed instantly. Oh, their place, they stayed. They were still in the deep darkness. But they were no longer shackled. Not only them... But all of the prisoners there, it says that as they were singing, the other prisoners listened. They didn't partake in it, but they tuned into it. Then all of a sudden, their chains fell off too, but nobody left. Nobody left. Here's a lesson, dear people. That even in the darkness when you begin to worship and to praise and pray to God, all of a sudden, you have transported your situation from the physical to the spiritual. We know this to be true because the writer of Hebrews says, let us come boldly to the throne of grace where we find grace and mercy to help in time of need. Worship that is combined with praise and prayer all of a sudden gets God's attention. And we bring heaven's help down to earth's problems. We go from the physical to the spiritual. And when you connect with the spiritual at the throne of God, all of a sudden foundations begin to shake. And you're set free. Worship changes you. Worship changes your circumstances. And finally, worship changes other people. The world is looking at us as a church. If you say you're a Christian and you fall upon hard times, the world is waiting to see your reaction. What will you say? What will you do? That doesn't mean that some of the darkness we go into doesn't cause us great grief. It doesn't mean that at all. But what it does mean is that even in grief, as Paul says, We weep, but not as those who have no hope. We rejoice. Rejoicing is not saying, oh, well, 
I'm in prison. I'm in the dungeon. Isn't life great? No. But it does give you a peace that all of a sudden affects other people around you. I'm sure that Paul and Silas and the other prisoners may very well have been able to escape on their own, but they never left. And the jailer, all the one that we are familiar with, he's about ready to commit suicide, and Paul, from the depths of the deep dungeon, says, "Uh, I wouldn't do that. We're still here. Surprised at that, the the jailer calls for a light. And he goes running down to the deepest, darkest point. The smelly, stinkiest dungeon. And there's Paul and Silas. And he falls at their feet and he asks a very interesting question. What must I do to be saved? How is it? I think intentionally what he's thinking about is this. I'm in a lot of trouble. You're supposed to still be in stocks, and you're not. If my bosses find out, I'm dead. What must I do to be spared? He's thinking physically, but Paul turns it spiritually. He says, you want to be saved? Believe. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And that will be so powerful that it will affect your whole family. You see, sometimes God takes us to the dark regions because someone is there who needs to hear of the goodness of Jesus Christ. Even in the midst of our sorrow, they need to hear the joy that there is in Jesus Christ. The jailer ministered to Paul, took him home, bandaged and healed his wounds, fed him a meal. And he, the jailer, and his whole family heeded the words that Paul said to them concerning Jesus Christ. And so powerful it was, it says that they were all baptized. They were all saved. Darkness. It's not a place we like to go. But it is there we learn much about how great our God is. I would dare say if the Apostle Paul would be with us this morning, he would probably tell us a few things. He would say, when your circumstances are dark, when gloom settles over you, It may have a tendency to shut you down and keep you quiet, but he would say, but put the praise on. Begin to worship your God. Realize that yes, it doesn't look too good today, but God's got a plan. And it's there that we can begin to say to ourselves, now is the time for the church to rise and be a light in the darkness, to be a voice in the wilderness, 
and to be able to tell jailers and other people, believe in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and you'll be saved. I can't think of a greater call in 2021 than for the church to rise above the darkness and to proclaim how great our God is. And we do that by prayer and praise. There's one sentence I can give you for 2021. It's this. Just put the praise on and watch God do some great things. Let's pray. Father, our hearts are challenged for there's times when we find ourselves in dark dungeons and yet it seems that we don't do as well as Paul and Silas. The darkness at times seems to overwhelm us and puts us in situations whereby we forget what it is to worship You. But may this chapter become a light, O Lord, unto our path, whereby as a church, the church locally, a church universally, we could rise up above the darkness and proclaim that There is life in Jesus Christ. May we worship You. As the Apostle Paul says, may we present ourselves as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto You, which is our reasonable worship. And to You, we will grant these things and ask that we may honor You in all we say and do. We'll praise You in the name of Christ our Savior. Amen.